The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné. I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And today we've got uh, a bunion surgery uh, that you've cut up for us and edited, and we can kind of go through some of the specifics. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Bunyan. I call him Paul. So this will get a ch- give everybody a chance uh, to kind of see some of the stuff we do actually in the OR. Um, the downside to this is that it is created adult content yes. on our YouTube channel. <laughs> so for all you uh, guys trying to watch surgery videos, yeah, you better you be, be or over. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, other than that, I think it's 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 helpful. <laughs> it's not like we're the only ones uh, putting surgical videos up there. So Oh yeah. But yeah, let's go through some of this stuff. Yeah. So like we've done before, bunions. What do we see clinically? We see that bump there. A lot of people assume that the bump is some type of tumor or mass or some type of bony overgrowth we just go in and we can just lop it off and you're good to go but what truly happens is you have a angulation uh, of that first metatarsal and then the pharynx tends to drift over towards the second toe it's just a it's a fancy subluxation of the big toe mm-hmm. joint so you're, you're getting a partial dislocation and you're uncovering part of the bone that normally you wouldn't you wouldn't palpate you couldn't feel it yeah yeah so We'll go pretty much step by step on what we do, what our thought processes are, and um, you kind of see what I did. Um, this is it's actually fairly recent. This is like less than a month ago. Cool. So incision placement. We talked about incision placements and why we do different incisions. I like to do most of my incisions dorsomedially, somewhere similar like this. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not that far back, but um, something similar to this. The reason we do that is because we avoid the extensor tendons and the neurovascular bundle. So the stentor tendon comes up the dorsal side, the top of the foot. So that dorsal type incision right here would be pretty close to that extensor tendon. And then the medial incision here tends to be really close to that uh, dorsal medial cutaneous nerve. So this incision along the medial aspect, I try to avoid also. So we try to get a nice, happy medium of that type of incision placement. So here we go. 
So that's an S mark. What it does, it sanguinates the foot. It's like a giant rubber band, like those elastic bands that people work out with. We pretty much start at the toes and we wrap our way back up. And right here at the ankle, we have a tourniquet. Now the tourniquet is usually inflated to about 250 um, millimeters mercury to help prevent any arterial flow from coming down. And obviously you'll have some veins and arteries and stuff in the way, but they'll be collapsed for the most part. If there's any type of um, residual um, uh, vasculature in here, uh, we can boviate if it bleeds or we try to avoid trying to um, cause any damage to them. And you'll see this one right here. I remember that I had to pull this over. I didn't, you know, want to violate it in any ways. So yeah, try to create a bloodless field so that you can see what you're operating on. Yeah, it's one of the advantages of being an extremity surgeon is we get to use tourniquets. Yeah, brain surgeons not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so here, I don't know if you caught that. So people who uh, do bunion surgery and whatnot, you'll see a little thing I do when I come up to the toe, I bring it up. And what that does is that it brings the articular surface, the cartilaginous surface, out of risk of getting um, caught up by the blade. So I'm bringing that joint up. So now the chance of catching that, uh, that cartilage is less. So I'm partially freeing up the retinon. The joint capsule. <laughs> the uh, joint capsule and the periosteum. Yeah. Um, the periosteum is that thin layer of film that kind of hugs that bone. Yeah. There's so only so much we can kind of save. So that's electric artery. Let's us uh, coagulate blood vessels quickly. Yeah, rather than hand ties and throwing strings around them. If it's, you know, the, the, the old rule of thumb, if, it is, if it's a lumen you can see, you should tie it off, but that's a tiny one. Yeah. So I get my basic dissection done. I typically, from this point on, I go to my lateral release. We talked about this before, and if you remember, I like to do my lateral releases with the adductor tendon transfer. Some people don't, some people do. It's just the way I, I was taught. Um, so I'm making a little pocket. Now the adductor is that little tendon that comes across the lateral side of the foot and inserts on that base of that proximal phalanx, pulling it over immediately, laterally, <laughs> towards the second digit. It pulls it over towards the second digit and it, it promotes that drift. So um, most people will release it. I go in and isolate it and I tag it with a little um, ethabond and you will see at the end of the surgery, I typically will tag it to the medial capsule or the medial suspensory ligament. That's the suspensory ligament here, a little bit of the capsule. And what we're doing here is I'm freeing that up. Oh, caught a vessel there. So your feet have vessels. You're you have veins, arteries, and uh, little capillaries. So the S mark obviously will squeeze the foot, but if it's between the bones, you won't really get too much squeeze. So sometimes um, I'll catch a vessel there, and I usually I'm able to just bogey it off. It's usually just right at the um, proximal margin of that capsule. So it, it happens. It, it's just a well-known thing. So I'll go back in there. I'll tag the little um, bleeders, and that should be the end of it. So what I'm holding on to with my pickups is that adductor tendon, the, the portion I freed up. And now what I'm doing is I'm going around and freeing up the soft tissue around it, the capsule, the sesamoidal ligaments, whatever it might be, I'm going through and freeing it up. As you can see the back of my head, that's exactly what I'm doing. So this is a little ethamon, so I'm just gonna jump ahead. What we're doing is just kind of running some stitches through there. I'm just tagging it. Yeah, yeah, I just do a one, two, one, two, just, just a double loop to get a good grip on it. And um, it works out beautifully. It very rarely pulls out. And it's tendon, so it's 
pretty stiff and resilient. The hard part is it's it's in a little pocket, and the ethabond I asked for like an O or a number two ethabond somewhere between there, and the needle is always like mm. yay big, right. and the incision is yay big, so <laughs> uh, it's a little fight. All right, so now for the osteotomy part. So that's the soft tissue dissection, pretty much. Um, Oh, I got a little bit more release going on there. That oh, I guess I'll catch in the next video. Uh, that is the medial sesamoidal uh, ligament. So recap what I just did: a lot of release, freed up all this stuff here. That vessel is usually right back here. It's uh, a we're it, we're a it's a it's a like, yeah it's a, we're stripping yes. the, the lateral side of the uh, the joint there. Perfect. <laughs> so I tag that little tendon. We bring it over. It works out well. It's just something I do. Some people do. Some people don't. It's just one of those things good example of kind of what we're going to end up doing at the end and that that um, adductor will come under the extensor tendon and we'll tag it to the medial side of that um, capsule. So you're turning it from a deforming force into a correcting force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is her x-rays specifically. You can see mild bunion, nothing too severe, just enough to cause pain, cause a little uh, first MBJ pain. So the goal is to bring this back over so it's pretty much over the sesamoids again. That's pretty much where we know that it's been reduced enough and you're trying to cut that IM angle in half. Yeah. You so can you're kind trying of to cut that angle between the first and the second in half. If you yeah, can do that. that with your osteotomy, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. So here's the lateral. Nothing too crazy. Luckily, in her case, it wasn't anything crazy. Sometimes you'll have large spurring from the arthritis that might be forming. Usually more common in hallux rigidus, but when you have a bunion, you can also get those forming. She's got a little elevatus there. Yeah. So you'll actually see, that's a good point, you brought that up. When I'm typically doing my K-wire uh, fixation, K-wire for the osteotomy, mm -hmm. and I'll bring it up again, is I'll point that over and down, and you'll see it. So what we're doing as far as mild bunions is a Austin type of um, osteotomy. So not, Austin, not named after Steve Austin? <laughs> yeah, I wish. That'd be a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is your classic Austin. We do a chevron type cut. The fixation used to be we aim it distally and we fixate it that way. Now, more popular and more stable is the chevron type um, uh, Kalish modification. Uh, it's a modified Austin bunionectomy. And the long dorsal arm allows us to fixate it with more stable screws and we get both sides of the bone purchased, both cortices. Mm -hmm. So we know that we have great stable um, fixation. So that's kind of what it'll look like on the x-rays. These screws are a little bit larger than the ones I will use, but... Those look like old synthy screws. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is right here. You see me using that weird um, bent piece of metal. That's called a Somalibur retractor. Um, it's a soft metal, so you can actually bend it and um, adjust it to whatever uh, space you need it to occupy. And they come in different widths. So we get one that kind of is about the same width as the first metatarsal, just a little bit smaller. And it gives us a nice little pocket so we can protect the soft tissue when we're doing our osteotomy. So I'm just freeing up the remaining capsule there so I can get a nice plantar osteotomy. So I'm making my medial surface. We're taking off a little bit of surface so we have a flat surface for when we do our osteotomy. So uh, some people do, some people don't. It's just per person. I think the vast majority do. Yeah. I know that some people, when they do like the lapidus, they won't do them. So you saw I was aiming it towards the base of the fifth. Now, if the first metatarsal was really long, I'd really shorten it some. But my general rule of thumbs, I'm basing it towards the uh, the fifth metatarsal head, the plantar surface, because she had a little bit elevatus. So the goal is, so when I shift it, it'll shift over and down. You see my uh, first assist here. She has that sen, that little pocket I made, because I don't like to free up too much soft tissue. 
um, off the bone, preserve good blood flow. I free up that little pocket, she puts that scent in there, and she tents it all the way across, so I'm able to get my saw across there without stripping that first metatarsal head and my planter cut. So the K-wire, the purpose is I'm doing two planes of cut, and when that K-wire is in there, I'm able to, you see me pulling it with my fingers, yep. Finger strength was not strong that day. <laughs> so the, the K-wire works as a... That's an osteotomy guide. It's just yeah. keeping your, your angled cuts planed so they're in the same, they're meeting in the in the middle. Same axis, yeah. Otherwise, if you're off slightly, it makes moving the, the uh, osteotomy really hard. Yeah, so you see how it's moving? This is not what we wanted. I usually impact it and it was moving, so obviously I didn't impact it enough. So you see me pushing it back again, and the goal is that it's stable, and now I'm able to get my, my K-wire across there. Now the goal of the K-wire is to get both cortices uh, of, you know, of your bone um, across both fragments. The reason we want both cortices is because the cortexes are very hard, and when you put your screws across there, they're going to help hold that um, that bunion without uh, or lowering the risk of that moving. When I typically do these, I try to get maybe two millimeters across the osteotomy site. So when I put my screws in, I kind of have a gauge on uh, how much when we do our measuring, how much I uh, how long the screws have to be. So you see me getting a lateral view. I had to pull that back. It looks like some. Um, pretty much making sure that I'm only two millimeters or so across that bony fragment. Yeah, because we're measuring the length of the screw off <clears> of the guide wire. Exactly. So if the guide wire is too long, your screw is going to be too long. Yeah. So you always need to check that. Measure twice, cut once. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I'm getting my measurements. Um, typically, I'll I'll do my countersink, countersink, yeah. and then I'll I'll break the cortices on the uh, the near cortex with a little drill, and then I'll put my screws across. Depending on how much I think I have to bury the head, um, this one wasn't too bad, but if I was going to bury the head, I'd actually do the countersink first, and then I, would, I wouldn't I would even do the measure until afterwards. But you see I'm double-checking my measurements anyways. Mm -hmm. So the countersink is hopefully spreading out the surface force of the head so exactly. you don't break bone. Yeah. yeah, you can get stress risers or small cracks in the bone if you're putting the screw in and, and you haven't sort of cored out that head, uh, the space for the head to go. Yeah, so you see I'm breaking the near cortices uh, in the, the hopes being that my screws will cause compression because um, obviously they won't catch on that near cortices. They'll cause compression on when it catches the distal cortices. Now, I am putting in partially threaded screws also, but it's just a little safe measure and, to make and, sure. And sometimes these, the bone is just really hard. Yeah. And so these are self-cutting, self-tapping screws. So you don't have to do it, but yeah. when you do buzz that proximal cortex, you just make it easier. I just re I just remembered in this case. Uh, so my, our, my, the rep I use is Drew, and um, I was just like I was screwing it in, and usually these are ratcheting handles, right? I'm like putting it in, and I was like, why isn't this ratchet working? And he's like, Dad, Doc, do you have it set to ratchet? And I was like, huh. <laughs> I clicked it. Click. <laughs> it's like the small things that you know See, that makes surgery so much better. Your surgical assist should be checked. <laughs> she should be handing it to you ready. Yeah, because honestly, it, yeah, it's a it's a dance, you know. We, we're going, I have my position, the first assist has their position, the scrub tech has their position, the rep has it. So everyone is working in sync, or that's the hopes. You know? the first assist should be reading your mind. Yeah, seriously, that's that. when we were in residency, my attending used to, you know, when we used to uh, be our, 
you know, the second scrub on the case, you know, right. your, your goal is to be next step ahead, you yeah. know. You need if, to anticipate what the next step's going to be. And, and, and our first assist, we're so spoiled. I mean, yeah. they're awesome. Phenomenal. No, Shauna I mean, is fantastic. Yeah. You'll see, she'll, she'll do the closure. She used to be yeah. a plastics first assist, so I've been having her do most of my stuff. She's a great job. Beautiful, just the way I love them. Yep. And All right, Dana's getting her first assist, yeah. so we're gonna have two of them. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's great. So here's here's the before, here's the the shift with the K wire fixation. Mm -hmm. Here you can kind of see the K wires how they come across. Like I said, um, two millimeters across. This one's probably a little bit longer than two, but you know, close to it. And then you can see the screws coming across there, and and um, yeah, the K wires coming out. And I was able to catch both sides. I know when I catch both sides when I pull out the K wires, and it doesn't hold. That's pretty much telling me that I've gotten both cortices yeah. because now the other cortex isn't holding on to that uh, the K-wire. All right, so next, we did the Austin bunionectomy. Now we're going to do the Aiken. Like I said, I typically do them about 60, 70, 80% of the time. I know you do them a little more. Maybe a little more, but not, I mean, not, not 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's not 100%, but you kind of have to gauge them. You tell the patients that most likely this will happen because you can kind of tell from the x-rays. You can see the curvature of that proximal phalanx or, or if they've just got a lot of soft tissue um, pulling on that toe, you're, you're just going to get a better correction. You're going to have a happier patient if you just take that wedge out. Yeah, yeah. And, and the long-term success of these are just so much better than solely relying on that yeah. soft tissue pull. 22 years of doing this. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. Sold? Right there. Sold. <laughs> so the Aiken osteotomy. This is when we take that little wedge out and we're able to drift that toe back over. And there's different ways of fixating them. I'm more of a staple person. I think you're a screw guy, right? Yeah, because I do it. I do an oblique one. But if you have a really severe curvature, doing a transverse osteotomy like that is very powerful. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going back to doing a few more of the staples because we've got some pretty significant curvatures that you can't really correct very well yeah. with an oblique cut. And the nice part is, as time has gone on, these surgical staples are so much better. Yeah. I remember back in the day, what they used to do was take to make their own staples was bend the K-wires. You remember those? Yeah. I mean, initially people used to do K-wires only for everything. That was fiddle factor max. <laughs> Yeah, you'd bend the K-wire, you'd make yourself a staple, and then you'd, you'd mark it on the bone, and then you'd put dots in just a little bit wider than what the staple <laughs> would be. So when you tap it in, you're slamming it in, they would compress even more. Where the stuff they have now, I mean, the night and all. Um, uh, the memory staples? The memory staples were kind of cool, but these ones that uh, our buddies. Uh, oh, the new ones. The fuse ones are really cool. Yeah, yeah. they're phenomenal. Yeah. So the logic on those, so the classic staple. I mean, we should probably do a lecture on internal fixation. Yeah, that's a good idea. But your classic staple is your, your staple, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a square box. And the arms that um, come down, these most commonly uh, more popular now, whatever you want to call them, these memory um, staples, you'll put them in, these night and all, and they'll, they'll be put in. And then as it reaches body temperature, that staple, it'll actually compress. So giving you great compression. So they literally come in an ice chest. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, at, they're at a particular position and then when they heat up those arms move in and give you give you the compression you're looking for so yeah i mean those were cool uh, sometimes could be brittle but you know yeah. i think the the new ones that we're playing with now that have been um private labeled by the fuse guys are really cool yeah the logic on those are that it actually splays out so when you're tapping them in it actually brings the osteotomy in and the legs go out it's phenomenal it works great so Aiken, we're doing our Aiken osteotomy, so let's go through that now. 
the Aiken right here being done. I'm making my little soft tissue pocket, freeing up that periosteum off the bone. I'm making my little dissection across there to, so I can get the sends or the malleable, or not malleable, or the freer or uh, periosteal elevator or something in there so they can you know show me the base. I do mine just a little off transverse because I really try to point that apex closer to that soft tissue mm -hmm. that's attaching to the base because just in case I break both cortices, right? And the goal is to only break one cortices and use the other cortices as a hinge, but if I break both cortices, then that soft tissue will kind of hold it in place. So here I'm, I'm doing my cut, uh, and you'll see that I, I pretty much bring it across two-thirds of the way, and um, you'll get a good picture once I, I pull out that wedge. So real small, I mean one to two millimeters. Now you're not taking off a lot because that blade is cutting off a millimeter or two, and then obviously your wedge. Yeah, you're pulverizing about a millimeter of bone with every cut. Yeah. So you take out a two millimeter wedge, now it's essentially a four, four millimeter, millimeter gap. Yeah. yeah. So you see, I'm just kind of just feathering that yeah. gap and I'm putting pressure with my finger and my thumb to compress that. You can kind of see it just kind of drifted back over completely. And there we go. Beautiful. Yep. You see, it's not perfectly transverse, but... You're getting more transverse than mine. So you, theoretically, you'd, you'd get more correction if you needed it. Yeah. With yeah. Less, less bone removal. So now that I got it to where I like... I'm sizing it for that staple, and you can see that this staple comes in different sizes, which is nice. So if I was like, look, uh, I'm pre-planning, it's probably going to be an 8, and then I get in there, I'm like, oh, this is actually going to be a 10. They can open the 10 staple rather than the 8 staple. So uh, you saw that little pin that I put in. Uh, it cool. makes sure that my drill hole doesn't drift just in case, you know, hand movement and whatnot. So I'm tapping in the staple, making sure it's flush with the bone, and now I'll do my range of motion to make sure everything's doing fine, or at least I should be doing my range of motion. Looks good. Yeah. So now we're talking about closure. Closure, we're just kind of run through because I'm sure um, y'all don't want to see me suture too much. I like to do mine in layers. Most people do them in layers. I usually do mine in three layers, the capsule and the peritinon, uh, peritinon, periosteum. Uh, then I do the soft tissue, just bring the tissue together. And then I do the skin. And uh, you'll see the different ways that you know we do these. Um, and you'll see I kind of step back. And at the end, I'll let the first assist, she'll do a wonderful closure. Oh, actually, before we do that, you'll see me do my adductor tendon transfer. Oh, right. There you go. So I lift up. I look for where the uh, suspensory ligament looks like it is. And I'm doing my, my little one-two stitch. One-two, one-two, right across. All right. So I'm coming under the extensor tendon. I'm taking that. Sometimes if we have a good tendon, I can really pull that tendon. And it'll come actually partially across here. Some of them won't. Having my first assist do the hand ties. You kind of see that peeking out under there, that, that little tendon. And the goal is to help maintain that correction. All right, range of motion, making sure everything looks good, making sure it needs doesn't need to get released anymore. And I think if I remember correctly, I had to do a little bit more on that lateral release. Oh, no, never not. That was someone else probably. All right, so now I'm looking for that uh, periosteum. Layered closure, we want that periosteum, which provides healthy blood flow to the bone, we want that to hug back down against the bone so this heals up without any problems. The last thing you want to see on the x-rays is a non-union or a delayed union. So this is pretty important. So I'll do my running stitch. I usually run mine. So you see I, I bring that stitch back under where I did that knot so the knot stays under. Uh, just so small things to make sure the patient doesn't feel any stitches or anything or sutures or anything at the end of this. because. Uh, you know, the osteotomy can look beautiful, but if a small thing like a stitch or, or something causes them pain, then they're not going to be happy. So making sure that all the uh, the hardware gets covered, um, 
the last thing you want is any type of um, uh, infection uh, across the hardware from whatever debris that might be getting in through the, the, the skin site that is healing. So if you have that layered closure, we don't have to worry about that as much. So usually I'll just leave it at that. All right, so just a little bit of local block at the end. Make sure that the patient, you know, stays nice and numb for a couple hours and maybe a day or so afterwards. All right, let's just jump ahead. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, her head was in the way most of the time. <laughs> I was watching the video earlier. But look at that beautiful closure. All right, so here's the, kind of the end x-rays that we're looking at. Uh, staple, the fixation. That's um, good. You, cut, you definitely close that inner metatarsal angle. Yeah, so this is the pre-op, just so if you remember... Uh, she had that big bump. The toes were butting against one another. She had that little bit of elevatus, and then we do her after. Nice. It's a little overcorrected because there's a little pad in there between there, but it'll drift back over parallel with the second. Um, the only thing, if I was going to critique my own thing, it looks like that second screw. It's just a little bit prominent, but that's just me being me. I, yeah, she's never going to feel it. The patient will never feel it. Yeah. Looks already healed. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> this is yeah. Uh, quick and easy, you know, your classic bunions. We're not doing anything fancy. We're literally going in, fixing the problem, and then uh, hopefully there'll be... Um, what does that take you, like 45 minutes? Yeah, uh, maybe maybe. An, maybe an hour, you know, yeah. just because, you know, fiddle factor or small things or I'm, I'm waiting on the saw or, you know, whatever small stuff yep. or me trying to <laughs> get the extra machine when it's locked and I'm, like, uh, pulling on it. Uh, recovery for these, um, we can do surgical shoe, boot. Um, some patients, um, I mean, some people like to do cast. I'm more of a, a, a boot or a surgical shoe guy. Um, you don't have to stay off of it. Some people just feel more comfortable if they want to do crutches or a knee scooter. Um, like I said, I had them walking same day mm -hmm. in a boot uh, or surgical shoe. Um, and then usually about that one-week mark, I'll have them slowly start wiggling their toes. The three-week mark, I'll have them physically holding their toes and start doing some early range of motion. And then hopefully as this heals up, they'll forget they ever had surgery. Right. Excellent. All right, Dr. Hussein, thank you very much. That was awesome. Good job. And uh, we did have a recent question posed to us on uh, yes. the website. It was um, patient had a calcaneal slide, right. and then they started having pain, and then they had plantar fasciitis. Um, they were wondering, is what are the repercussions of a plantar fascial release? Yeah. So plantar fascial releases come with repercussions, there's no doubt. The majority of those folks really should be in orthotics afterwards, yes. so that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. The plantar fascia has a function. Um, when it's a problem and patients are failing conservative treatment, you can release it, and it's a, you know, a routine thing. However, uh, I think putting people in custom orthotics is important. Yeah. And you need to wear those custom orthotics probably for the rest of your life. The downside, if you don't, is you're probably placing a tremendous amount of stress on your midfoot joints. Yeah. Because that plantar fascia acts, you know, the windless mechanism, it's acting like a suspension bridge. And when yeah. you don't have that suspension bridge, you're, you're really, you're asking a lot of those midfoot joints. Now, I know that there's, you know, arguments on how much you should release. Very rarely does anyone advocate releasing the whole thing. Right. Most people will advocate releasing two the, thirds. Yeah, one third to two yeah. thirds. I, I usually fall in that, right. you know, whatever gap. But because um, you don't want to cause cuboid syndrome, yeah, exactly, which can happen if you release too much, and uh, it's not it's not an unheard of complication of oh, yeah. plantar fascia release. Yeah, I mean there are things you can do to your orthotics to help accommodate for cuboid syndrome, but you don't want to put a you know uh, a stress on that lateral column if you can avoid it. Right. So we'll uh, we'll get back to that listener directly, but but we wanted to add that in uh, in case you're a, a true fan and you're listening to all of these. Um, so anyway, 
We appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.